Welcome back to the Daily Signal's Best of 2022 podcast series. Today is December 27th, 2022. I'm Samantha Sherris. As 2022 winds down and a new year is on the horizon, one question my colleague Mary Margaret Olihan asked earlier this year was, how did corporate media become so biased and corrupt? And why isn't it being held accountable? Molly Hemingway, the editor-in-chief of The Federalist, told Mary Margaret in March that corporate media exists to support corrupt regimes. Molly and Mary Margaret sat down at CPAC earlier this year to take a deep dive into this question and more. Stay tuned for their discussion after this. Today, news you can trust feels like a rarity. That's why the Daily Signal podcast releases a top news edition every weekday at 5 p.m. Whether driving home from work, fixing dinner, or picking the kids up from soccer practice, you can stay informed on the headlines you care about. Every show is quick and succinct, designed to keep you up to speed on the issues that actually matter. Catch our top news edition right here in your Daily Signal podcast feed every evening. Or listen first thing in the morning before catching the day's interview. And be sure to subscribe on the Daily Signal podcast so you never miss an episode. My guest today is Molly Hemingway, the editor-in-chief at The Federalist. Molly, thank you so much for joining us today. It is great to be here with you. So Molly, you have been one of the most prolific critics I have ever seen of the media's (laughs) misrepresentation of the news. Um, I'd love if you could share with us, what are some of the most egregious lies that you have seen spread by the media? Well, first off, I I remember that this is something I've been interested in since I was literally a child. I remember reading, I lived in a town that had two newspapers, and so you could kind of compare how those two newspapers covered events, and I became aware at a very early age about the power the media have to shape narratives and to shape the way you think about things. And so this is a problem we've had for decades. And you think about how many Republican presidents have complained about media bias. It goes back to literally Eisenhower. But what we're in right now is something altogether much worse and much different. And just like overt propaganda environment where we have a corporate media that make up stories that use sources that they never should be using um, and who also hide stories that are harmful to their political goals. And so there are many stories in recent years that have been really bad. Obviously, the Russia collusion hoax that they completely perpetrated for years and was made out of nothing, um, using sources they never should have used, all in an effort to destroy a political person they did not like and a political movement they didn't like. Also, I would say the Kavanaugh smear, that was one of the most horrific things I've ever witnessed. And I wrote a book on it with Carrie Severino about that confirmation. And they, they again, went with a story that never should have been made public. And they pushed narratives that were false all to destroy a person because really they just wanted to shape what the Supreme Court was like. So what about when someone like Hunter Biden actually has an insane scandal and the media just ignores it or doesn't allow the story to be told. Right. I love how we lived through this Trump era where the children of the president were lambasted right. all the time. And then you have an actual crack addict for yeah. the son of, of our current president who's been engaged in all sorts of financial dealings with corrupt oligarchs, Chinese communist government. We have policies that clearly seem to have been shaped by some of these relationships, whether it's in Ukraine. China, Russia, and the media suddenly, the corporate media have no interest in covering this, even though it's a dramatic story. I mean, it has all the elements that you would, you know that they would have just salivated over had it been 
an opposing party. The sex, the drugs, the just insanity. But so, no, all of a sudden now they're showing a great deal of restraint, and I think it's you know, pretty clear it's for <laughs> respect for his yeah. privacy. Yeah. <laughs> so why do they get away with that? How how do they get away with that? Well, so I think there are many problems that go into this. One thing is that you know I call them corporate media in part because they are so well funded by corporations. They exist to sort of support corrupt regimes, and they do a great job doing it. And corporations pay them for that. Um, so the the financing issue is huge. And if you believe in a free and fair press, which is actually really important for our system of government, you look at the founders, they talked at length about the need for a free and fair press to hold people accountable. We do not have that in the corporate press. Uh, but we do have other outlets that are doing a good job of reporting actual news based on facts instead of narrative pushing. And those need to be funded. So <laughs> that's an important issue. Also, one thing that I'm really optimistic about is a lot of people have lost trust in corporate media in recent years. That's a good thing. It's bad if people believe the propaganda that's coming. You look at the numbers for corporate press and they are just off a cliff. It's like 9% of Republicans have any confidence at all whatsoever right. in the media and the, the left isn't really that much believing them also. That, need, that needs to continue and I think that in this regard, a lot of Republican politicians do a lot to prop up the, this corrupt uh, press. They treat them as if they're reasonable instead of as their primary political opponents. They let them moderate debates, which is insane. Right. It's like you're debating your your opponent of the other political party, and then you're also debating someone far crazier than right. your opponent in the political party who's setting the questions, deciding how to frame them, and that is just, that needs to stop. And so I would say that any conservative politician who does not believe that it is his job or her job to go to war with these people who are destroying the country does not deserve to be in office. Well, I would love to talk more about your book on the Kavanaugh hearings, because this is something that actually caused me to go into journalism. I was so radicalized by this whole experience. We have another Supreme Court confirmation coming up. Do you have any insights on how this will all play out? What kind of confirmation process we might see? So this is uh, another disparity you see between parties. So Carrie Severino and I wrote Justice on Trial, and we go through the history, not just of the Kavanaugh confirmation, but all the recent nominations. Really, it's, it's sort of like a lot of history from the 70s on. Right. And so what you see in confirmation battles is that they've gotten incredibly fraught when a Republican is nominating someone to the court. And particularly, usually, this didn't, wasn't the case with Amy Coney Barrett, but when a Republican is nominating someone to the court to replace a seat held by someone that the left views as right. one of their own. And so um, you do not see these types of harsh battles on the right, in part because the right doesn't seem to fight as well as the left <laughs> does, or they aren't willing to, like, blatantly accuse someone, brazenly right. accuse someone of a crime they didn't commit, like right. serial gang rape. Um, so in this case, I think the good thing to remember, and that all Americans should remember, is who controls the Senate really dictates what happens with these nominations. Right. I think Clarence Thomas was the last nominee to get uh, confirmed by a Senate controlled by a different party than the party that was nominating. And so um, it's a bad show of hand uh, show of cards here we've got a 50 democrats but they control the senate right and then you have a ton of weak republicans who will probably go along with it lest they be lest they be accused of being meanies <laughs> even though uh, now that we have the nominee we know which we kind of knew no matter who the nominee was that she's incredibly radical partisan that she has engaged in you know pretty extreme 
rulings from the bench, and she is a hardcore activist. So if you care about the country and if you care about the court having legitimacy right. and if you care about ju justices actually viewing their job as um, interpreting the Constitution faithfully and fairly and accurately, you should be putting up a fight against this person. Right. Um, well, final question for you. This one's a little bit off topic, but it's about Ukraine. I have seen a lot of media and Democrats suggesting that there's all these Republicans and commentators are siding with Putin. Have you yeah. seen anything about that? Oh my gosh, it's infuriating to me. Like the first job of anyone in foreign policy should be to understand the positions of the key players. Yeah. Understanding the position of a player does not in any way mean you're endorsing right. that person. And in fact, particularly if you oppose Putin, you need to understand where he's coming from. Right. What I think is actually happening when people displace, they say, oh, um, by, by articulating the complexity of the situation or by articulating how our foreign policy helped contribute to it, you're siding with Putin. What they're trying to do is avoid responsibility for what they did. The okay. fact is, I mean, you look at what Putin has done across the last four presidents, he made incursions, you know, when George W. Bush was weak with his distraction in the Iraq war, when, uh, you know, when um, Obama and Biden were in office the first time, and now again with Biden in office. The one exception is the Trump presidency, and that was because we, that was the one time we had a different foreign policy, where we believed that strengthening this country, having en energy independence, focusing on China instead of being distracted with never-ending never wars, you know, in other places, right. and, um, and really encouraging the NATO alliance to be strong against Russia, meaning the countries within NATO needed to step up and handle their defense far more, particularly with what we're going, what's going on with China. So these people just don't want to deal with the reality that their foreign policy helped contribute to this absolute disaster situation. And that doesn't mean that you support the problem just because you accurately identify what the problem is. Super interesting. Well, Molly, thank you so much for joining us. We're so grateful for your insights. Thank you very much. Great seeing you. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thank you for joining us this week for the Daily Signal Best of 2022 podcast series. If you have not taken a moment to leave us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts, be sure to do so before the end of the year. Every time we receive a rating and review, that helps us reach even more listeners. And we love reading your feedback. Have a wonderful day and we'll see you all back here tomorrow morning for the next edition of our Best of Podcast series for 2022. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. Executive producers are Rob Bluey and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen, Samantha Asheris, and Jillian Richards. Sound design by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. To learn more, please visit DailySignal.com.